So the, this passage is uh, it's it's vast, and obviously one verse does not stand alone by itself. They're connected to the verses before and the verses that follow. Thus, in chapter two, when he starts with the word "therefore," there is a we. This isn't the first therefore we came across, but the word therefore helps you say, what is this therefore? Because the word is because. It's the word because or since then, therefore, rid yourself. Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. They've got to grow. They've got to go so that we can grow. And I've, uh, as I try to stand back and keep looking at the passage in the big picture, because of the new birth, we've been born again into a living hope from chapter one. Because of the seed of God, because of the word of God, because of the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, because we have the choice to obey and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit who's conforming us to the image of Christ. And we need to love each other deeply from the heart and allow the I asked myself a couple questions this week of this text. And I said, is Peter really serious when he says rid yourself? And I've had to ponder deeply, rid yourself, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And is he, is he telling me, is the Holy Spirit through Peter telling me that I have a responsibility in this and that I have a definite opportunity and responsibility because of the work of God in my life to respond to God's work in my life and rid myself. And it doesn't say just a bit. Rid yourself once in a while when you're with certain people. It says rid yourself of these things. And there's five attitudes. And this is not an extensive list. I'm not sure why he picked these particular things over other things. But there's other lists in the scripture that you can look up and you'll find. Things that we should rid ourselves of. Things that we should put off. And things that we should put on. And I, so I asked myself, what if I took him seriously? What if I looked at this as, a, as what it is? An awesome privilege and responsibility to respond to the power and the authority of God in my life. To rid myself of things that harm me, harm my relationship with God, and harm me and every other human being and our relationships with each other. So there's five attitudes here that have corrosive action, and they'll absolutely hinder your growth. They'll hinder your growth as an individual. They'll hinder your growth in your family. They'll hinder your growth in your community. They'll hinder your growth in every way. So Peter just says, rid yourselves of these five things. And the word rid, strip off. It's like... Uh, one translation of the scripture talked about getting rid of the dirty clothes. I read another still illustration of uh, when I got to the end of it, I saw that it was a, a lady and I should have known as she was talking about house cleaning. She says, I went into this room and I realized that there was so much clutter. When I moved things, when I moved things, I didn't want to just have the same stuff in a different room. 
I wanted a clean house. I wanted to rid myself of those things that cause clutter, rid myself of those things that hinder. And we've got, we've all got dead wood in our lives. We've all got things that hinder us and we need to get rid of it. And you know it as well as I know it. And you know some of the specific things. And if you allow the Holy Spirit through the word of God to tell you, he'll put his finger on specific things and say, listen, we could have dealt with this years ago. We're still dealing with this because you just put it under the desk or you moved it to a different spot in the cluttered room. And so she said, well, when I went through it, I found bags and bags of stuff. If I hadn't used it or it wasn't necessary, I put it by the door to go out not to go into the new part of the place. So rid yourself and get rid of it so that you can grow. And briefly, you could spend, and literally you could spend several hours looking up scriptures and looking up the definition for each of these terms, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And you can come up with very important reasons why you shouldn't have these things in your life. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. I just want to unpack them briefly. Malice. It's the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another person. It implies a deep-seated desire to see someone else suffer. Wow, I can see why Peter would say, rid yourself of that. You don't want that to own you. You don't want that to influence you. Malice, the harboring of evil, evil thoughts against another person. Malice nourishes antagonism. It builds grudges. It fuels resentment and secretly hopes that revenge and harm and tragedy will overtake another person. That's enough. Let's leave malice. Rid yourself of malice. And Again, we're not, I, and I would agree that Peter is not saying this is some instantaneous thing. You're going to practice as the Holy Spirit points out into your life. Listen, you didn't even remember maybe that you have malice against this particular person. You haven't seen him for a while. And what was your first thought when you saw him again? Uh, we got that issue. I didn't deal with it. Well, rid yourself of malice. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a working out. And uh, the next one is all malice, all deceit. Deceit, broad definition again, lies, tricks, falsehood, exaggeration, double meanings. It's basically the intent to lead astray everything and anything that has to do with the nature of Craftiness and deception, any form of dishonesty, cheating, small, medium, or large lies, all attempts to trick. The word deceit basically has its root in fishing, in the idea of baiting a hook. And you're baiting the hook, and if you do it right, like Dan does it, you can be in the boat with him, and you can have the same hook, but somehow his hook catches the fish. He used deceit. <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's the whole idea. The fish was deceived and his bait worked. And so that's the thing is sometimes in our relationships, we will be and we are tempted to deceive. Peter's just saying, rid yourself. Recognize it, rid yourself, walk 
in dependence on the Holy Spirit who will continue to keep his finger on malice and deceit and any upcropping of its ugly head in your life. Next word there, hypocrisy. Basically, hypocrisy is from back in the uh, olden days where they used to do acting, and they still do acting, but they would hold masks up in front of the face of the actor, and basically it's putting a mask and playing a part on a stage. That's what hypocrisy, the word, means. Putting on a mask and playing a part on a stage. So we just ask yourself, in which relationship am I playing a part that's not really true? What kind of perception am I putting out there that's not helpful, that's harmful, that's, that's deceit? Hiding one's true intentions. Hiding one's true motives. Boy, you did. I did some thinking this week of each of these things, and I'm thinking, wow, you have to really stop and ponder and pray and lay your motives before the Lord so that he can say, yeah, I've been talking to you about that for a long time. Oh, so I have some hypocrisy even toward my Lord. Oh, hiding one's true intentions. To act with intended deceit, to cover up what is real, the true and the present, a false front, a pretense, an outward show, pretending to be different from what you really are. The next one, envy. Get rid of envy. Envy has this double meaning to it, a double attack in a sense. It's, it's desire and it's dissatisfaction. Envy, envy comes along with what can. It was it was difficult for me this week as I studied to parse between what was actually good desire and when does my desire or your desire, our desire, cross a line into what would be called envy, which would not be healthy, which would be destructive. So envy is not just wanting what another person has but resenting them for having it. So I don't need, I, I don't not just want what you have. I'm sad and mad that you have it. That's what envy is. And it works on us. Desire to possess what others have. What one writer called the last sin a Christian would want to confess so it's just, because it's just so ugly. I can't be happy for you if I'm envious of you. Slander. Speaking evil, giving a false report, talking down, belittling, defaming, backbiting, harming others with whispering. So slandering usually isn't necessarily done to somebody's face, which it can be, but most times it's done whispering behind their back. You might just get done with a conversation with somebody and you walk over and the next person you meet and you've got something belittling to say about the person you just talked with. Slander. So he says, rid yourselves, remove, take off, put off, put to death. And it, it's not the first time you heard this. Because as I read this, I'm going, wait a minute, I've read this before somewhere. So I wanted just to point out that, yes, you're right. You've read it before somewhere in a couple of different places. Paul uses the same expression, and I would uh, point that out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. It says this. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Basically, rid yourself of things. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. It goes on in verse 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off. Same idea, same concept. Rid yourself, put off, take off, put away. In uh, chapter 3, verse 5 of, well, first verse 31. Sorry, chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That was Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. So Paul and Peter are basically saying the exact same thing here. There's certain things that have no place in the Christian life. Certainly no place in the Christian lifestyle. No place in the ongoing development of the Christian person. And so these five things that Peter uses are just an example of a broader um, idea of the self-centered nature. Things that would be contrary to God. So in Colossians, Paul says this. Uh, let me find these verses in Colossians. There was a, a couple that uh, Paul used, the same expression he used in Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. It says this. But now... You must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And obviously, these are things that are going to hinder your Christian growth. So in the big context that Peter's getting ready to tell them, crave pure spiritual milk with the word. Here's some things that you need to get rid of. Here's some things that are occupying the space that needs to be occupied with craving for God's word. So in some way, I was wondering to myself, now does, uh, does malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, do they quench good craving? Because the next verse says crave. And wow, one of the most fascinating things I've been learning in this journey of mine is that Craving, we, we don't crave enough. And craving can be suppressed. And craving needs to be expressed, but it needs to be correct craving. It's got to be healthy craving, healthy desires. So before we go there, just want to share a couple things. I took one of these five things and spent some, a little more time thinking about it, okay? And the one I chose was envy because... In the last couple of months, especially, maybe in the last couple of years, I've been battling with envy in a whole new way, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But envy has the capacity to make one dissatisfied with very adequate and even more than adequate anything. Okay? Before envy comes and strikes, you may be very satisfied with that shirt you're wearing. Before envy strikes, you may be very satisfied with the car you're driving. You may be very satisfied with the house you're living in. But envy has the capacity to make one dissatisfied with very adequate and even more than adequate anything. 
Envy robs satisfaction, it robs joy, it robs contentment, it rots at the soul. It's like tooth decay. Have you ever stopped to consider that ever spreading tendencies of envy? Envy is like a living thing in the sense it gets hold of you. So my own personal story here. I was more satisfied before I received three years ago this boat that my sister purchased. And I needed to give you a little explanation before that time. There was uh, an old boat that I had been using, and before that time, an even older boat, and a small little boat, and I was quite satisfied, very happy. And so my sister, upon retirement, had this goal that she'd been working on for years to purchase this boat, and this boat happens to be top of the line, this particular type of boat, Cadillac boat. Well, yesterday, I'm driving down the highway. Guess what I noticed? In the other lane, car after car after car, pulling a boat that was a different color than mine, that had a little larger motor than mine, had two-wheel trailers pulling not an 18-foot boat, but a 20-foot boat. And rising up in my heart, which I've had to deal with for the last couple of years, is this thing called envy. I'm going, wow, wow. So this is a journey. And I've been, I was thinking about it, discontentment, dissatisfaction, con contemptuous, taking things for granted, presumption. It's all spun off of envy. So what are some t techniques or some tools for dealing with envy? What are some antidotes to envy? And we all need to put some more thinking into this. But number one antidote to envy, gratitude, thankfulness. That idea of being thankful and appreciative, genuinely appreciative for what you have and for what other people have, for what God, the giver of good gifts, has given. And then uh, practicing that thankfulness. Practice contentment. What? You would have to stop in order to pause long enough to practice contentment. Walk around and just say, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this person. Thank you for this situation. And practice contentment. Lord, help me to realize you're in all this. And so um, enter into somebody's need. That will help you battle envy. And obviously bringing it to the Lord. I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about this very subject, envy. And he was telling me, he said, Chris, let me share with you a little story. As I grew up in my relationship with my father, I noticed other children and other young adults, young men who had a really good relationship with their father. And I wanted that, which is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. But he said then it creeped into Envy, and I began to be even frustrated with some of these people, and I'm frustrated with them. I didn't want to hear their stories. I didn't want to hear about their relationship with their father. And then I even became angry at my father. And I'm thinking, wow, so envy, envy does that. Envy has that capacity. Um, 
scriptures tell us that they they hung Jesus on the cross because of envy. So envy is a deadly thing. And that's just one of those things. That, uh, but as my friend began to look at that, and he reminded me this morning, hey, this was a process. This took time. This took five years of working through, and he's still working through to recognize that what he wanted, a strong relationship with his father was a good thing, but to, to allow envy to wreck it and then cause him to have anger and, and dissatisfaction with his father. He had to come to a place of repentance and give that up and get rid of that envy and then come to a place, say, you know what? I found a new joy and a new love and a new respect for my father. And he's on his way right now to meet his father for Father's Day and, and per, to, to continue to pursue that relationship to know that there's growth there. So we transition to the next verse. And so these things that we should rid ourselves from, and it seems to me like it sets the table then to fill our lives. And there's other verses that would say fill your life and then you'll be rid of these things. So it's, it's not necessarily one or the other. They work together. As I fix my eyes on the Lord, the, the, the things of the world grow strangely dim. As I intentionally rid myself of certain things, it leaves room in my life, room in my relationships to then crave and desire healthy things. So this word crave, okay, depending on which translation of the word you have in your hands, it might have the word crave, it might have the word desire, it might have the word long for, yearn, to have a strong desire for something or someone. See that verse two, like like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so this word crave, for a long time, I've been learning to um, tap into healthy, true desires that are in there, given to us by God, that are usually tainted and twisted by sin and um, even pushed down so that they're no longer, you no longer even have cravings and desires. So let me see if I can help you out here and help myself out here too. So it's a compound word in the original Greek, epipatheo. And epi on the beginning is, the word epi means toward. And it acts as an intensifier on this word. So when it says crave, it means really crave. When it says desire, it means a great desire. It means a longing. And to have a great affection, a great longing, and a great yearning. And there was a couple other places in the scripture. I'm not going to turn to many, but I want to turn to a few to just show you how this word is translated and used in other ways. And the first one I'm turning to is in Romans chapter 1. I'll read the verse to you. It says this in Romans chapter 1, 11. I long to see you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. 
That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So this craving, this longing has a desire that it's going to impel you to move forward to see that person. I long to see you. So you're going to get up from wherever you're sitting or wherever you're staying and you're going to go visit this person. There's a longing there. It's that type of longing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses the word again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says this. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And if you have sensed that longing that you're just done with this flesh, you're done with its control of your life, you're done with its insidiousness. That's what he's talking about, this longing to be done with this. It's a powerful longing and yearning deep in the soul and the spirit of a person who's hungering and thirsting after God and is learning. And they're starting to understand and hear that longing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he uses the word again. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 14. 14 says this. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. So it's that kind of longing where their hearts are going out. And there's several other references of where he uses and how he uses that word. But I want to just say one of the most important things in life. And I want especially you young people that are here. If you're under 40, listen to this. I would say one of the most important things in life is learning. Learning what to long for and developing healthy longings. You don't want to crush someone's longing. You want to correctly direct that longing. That same longing that drives them to sell their soul to the devil and his practices is the same kind of longing you want to have God get a hold of. And correctly use it in a person's life. The same kind of longing a young man would have to abuse the beauty of his sexuality is the same kind of longing he should have to promote the beauty of that sexuality. And so in other words, learning to long for right things and practice longing for right things, developing an appetite for virtue. I hear Peter saying that when he's saying crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. A baby craves pure milk. Are you moms hearing me today? A baby craves pure milk. They don't care about the color of the nursery. <laughs> they don't care about the color of the blanket. They don't care about the, the binky's texture. They want milk, and they will let you know, and they will scream for milk, and they will fight for milk. I was out at your guys' farm. What that was that a couple of weeks ago? We had had a campfire out there on the porch. I looked over, and the little lamb was was head butting the bag, right? The mother's milk, and I'm thinking, oh, that nature. Has in it that the, the, the baby lamb goes and headbutts the mom's bag of milk so the milk drops. Huh? I remember being in the shopping store and my wife would say, oh, shoot. You know why? Because 
she had a baby she was nursing, but the other aisle over, another baby cried. <laughs> and you know what happened? The milk dropped. And you guys know what, you gals know what that means. You gals know what that means. And, and uh, I'm thinking, wait a minute. So this craving, this craving, it, it's God's saying that it's your responsibility to seek hard after me and my word? Or is he saying, which I doubt a little less, I'm going to, well, let me rephrase that just for a second. That I'm learning there's this reciprocating relationship between God and us. He is calling us up to be responsible hungerers and seekers after him. He's calling us to be engaged in life. And life is searching for that which causes us to grow. There's not a living thing on earth today that I know of, but I'm not a scientist and I haven't studied everything. My limited knowledge would tell me that living things hunger. Living things seek. Living things are drawn towards and pulled towards and moved towards purposefully and intentionally toward life. And so I hear Peter saying this. Spiritual growth comes from knowledge and application and obedience and delighting in God's word. If you want to grow, if you want to grow, there's things that has to go so that you can grow, but you need to develop taste buds. Nurture your appetite. Do you know why dogs love and crave dog food? Because they're dogs. Cats love and crave cat food because they're cats. A Christian, by the nurturing and the nature of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the Christian will have a craving for God's word and for God. But I tell you, you have more than a battle than a cat or a dog to find food on your hands. You have an enemy who hates your soul, who has no intention to allow you to grow and wants you to grow. And also you deal with your own flesh. You deal with your own lusts and cravings and envies and desires. And so we're close to finishing here. I just want to bring this together. And I want you to understand Think about it right now. What you desire, what you long for, what you crave is absolutely critical to understand because of the connection between craving and becoming. Because of the connection between longing and living. Your longings will be your living. And you know what? At times... That is so self-incriminating, you just want to fall on the floor and weep. And at other times, it's so enriching and so enlarging, you just want to run toward what God has for you. It's the law of sowing and reaping. If you plant a carrot seed, Harper, if you plant a carrot seed in the ground, what will you get? That's right. Remember that when you're seven, eight, nine, and ten, and, and ask yourself often, what am I planting? What am I planting? 
What are you planting? What are you craving? What are you expecting? What you crave and what you fill those cravings with are foundationally and fundamentally important for the developing of character, of an individual, of a community, of a state, of a nation. So this word crave, it's in the aorist imperative. It means it's a take decisive action. It's calling for the readers to make a decisive decision. Maybe you're just expecting these cravings to fall out of the sky. Well, in some ways, when you, you know, if you think about um, the transition during puberty, you could go for two weeks ago, I wouldn't even be caught dead with the girls on the playground, and now I want to be with them. What's going on? So if you're seeking God, he, in fact, is seeking you more. But he's inviting you to participate with your whole being in that seeking. This word here, it's, it's a decisive response. You've heard the phrase, just do it. You've heard the other phrase, get her done. That's basically what Peter's saying is just do it. Just crave. But it's not like you, um, yes, you can. You can decide, and that's called responsibility. You can decide to do things that are good. You can decide to do things that will add to life instead of detract from life. You can decide to be more mature than you were a month ago, a year ago. He's saying grow up. But it's important to know what to crave and how to crave and develop craving. Craving is knowing in the, in the knowing sense that craving leads to filling. So there's an understanding there. You have, you have been given by God capacity. Okay? Every human being is given by God capacity. What are you doing with that capacity? What are you doing with those longings? What are you doing with those cravings? So I'm asking myself fresh these days, what do I long for? What do I long for? If I look down the road, even three years, what do I long for in my relationships? First and foremost, in my relationship with God, in my relationship with my family, in my relationship with others. What do I long for to develop in character and practice and habit? Those are what character is. To add to the lives of those lives that I have the privilege to walk with. Do I long for things that bring glory to God? Do I long for higher things? Like First John says, um, don't love the world or the things in the love in the world, but love the Father. Last illustration. When I was a kid growing up with my dad. We used to watch these uh, during the time of the Olympics. I'm sure it's still they still have them today, but they would do a special on an athlete. Maybe it would be like a 15-minute special on an ice skater or a gymnast or a weightlifter, and they would they would show you what you don't see during the glory days of the event. They would show you how the person got there. 
they would show they would show him as a little boy or a little girl with their first pair of skates or their first dumbbell. That's not a friend. That's a weight. Okay. Um, so, and they would show him exercising, and then they would show him a little older. They would show them going through repetition after repetition, day after day, week after week, month after month, even year after year, to become what they are becoming. And you and I are doing that same thing. I think I see that here. Because Peter's going to talk to them as individuals, and then he's going to talk to them as a community. Is he not? Listen. You are living stones. You're being built together. Once you were not a people, now you're a people. Father, thank you for the wealth, the richness, the depth of your word. And God, we just invite you to keep calling us out of minuscule living to largeness, to To face fears, to face things that would shrink us, to get rid of things that belittle us, to crave things that grow us, so that indeed we can grow up in our spiritual life, so that we may grow up in our salvation. Have your way with us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you want to stand with us, we'll close with this is the first. 